there are people throughout the world that have interesting stories to tell. Stories of heroism, acts of kindness, near-death experiences, successes, and failures. You usually hear of these stories from people that live in another state or country. But what about the stories from within your own community? Everyone has a story to tell. And by everyone, we mean your neighbor, your coworker, the person behind you at church, people you interact with on a daily basis, or maybe even you. Welcome to the DTB Podcast, presented by the Bless Your Heart Nonprofit Corporation. I'm Brennan Mathern, and I'll be your host as we speak to some of the most interesting people on Bayou Lafouche. Today, we're speaking with Philip George Jr. of the Philip George Restaurant and the George family here on Bayou Lafouche. The Philip George Restaurant, famous for its roast beef sandwiches back in the day. Mr. George, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. We're happy to have you. And we'll definitely discuss some of the history in the restaurant later, but we'd like to let our listeners know just a little bit about you and your family. So start by telling us about yourself, your family, maybe your, your professional life. We know you eventually took over the restaurant. What did you do before that? Well, uh, of course, I'm Philip George, married to Eleanor. Everybody calls it Papa from way back when. Uh, our first son, Tommy, uh, was born uh, way back when his wife, Wanda, daughter, Jackie, married to Chad Adams, daughter, Cassidy, son, Brandon. And then, uh, of course, so, uh, Tommy had a son, Sean Phillip, married to Celeste. Uh, they've got three daughters, Tessa, Vera, and Jonah. He's a boy. <laughs> and then I have my second son, Michael, Married uh, to Debbie, they had one daughter, Kayla, uh, with Ricky Bro, and then a son, Peyton, and Eliana, and stepson, Hayden, and a stepdaughter, Riley. And then I got a grandson, Cody, his wife, uh, Elizabeth, and they had two dogs. you might want me to start from way back when I was a little guy. Sure. I had to leave school at a pretty early age. Uh, things happened. Um, my dad had health problems. When he got better, he wanted me to go back to school, and I refused. So I had to work in the restaurant at about 15 years old. I got a minor release, went to work on tow boats in the Mississippi River. Then I met my wife about 1950. We uh, married in 52, went to work in the bar a short while, and then went to work on a shrimp boat with uh, my father-in-law for about a year. I had an offer to go in the oil fields. My dad was good friends with uh, an op soup for humble oil in uh, Grand Isle. And I got the job with Humble in 1955. Started roughnecking offshore, and then a crunch hit in about 59. Things, things got bad. So it was either take the job they offered or you could go home. So I uh, 
transferred inshore to Britain Canal and cut off. Stayed there for about 10 years. Uh, and time I was working at Britain Canal, my dad had lots of health problems again. So one day he asked me to take over the bar and restaurant. That meant quitting my job with Humble. Told him I would have to think about that. I had a talk with my immediate supervisor, and he suggested I not quit, but run both jobs, and I agreed. Shortly thereafter, my dad passed. We kept the bar open for a while with uh, my brother and sisters, their husbands, wives, and everybody took a shot at it. And uh, eventually, shutting the place down. We, uh, we couldn't handle both jobs. And like I said, we, we had jobs that we all had retirements on, you know, and making money. Because the bar business is a rough business. It's, it's, it's a tough business. So my brother had a shrimp boat. He wouldn't take the bar. Often my sisters and their husbands, if they would like to take it over, Nobody wanted it. So uh, we worked at it and finally decided we'd go ahead and shut it down. Now, that was back around 69. We shut everything down. And uh, so that was more or less the, uh, the end of the roast beef sandwiches, the original roast beef sandwiches <laughs> for the Georgia, for the Georgias. Of course, we still had the recipes and everything that goes with it. Um, I got promoted to a mechanical foreman offshore in the Lafayette district, promoted to field foreman till the end of my career in 1986. I retired. Bought a shrimp boat. Me and the wife worked it for about three years and uh, really really decided I didn't need that, so I really retired. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Mr. George, you mentioned the bar and restaurant of business being a rough business uh, back then. You know what's changed uh, all these years later? Not much. <laughs> no, still, no, no, it hasn't. Still, but, still a rough business. Yes, it, it is. It is. We, we pretty much uh, frequent the, the restaurants, uh, not bars, I Kind of laid, laid off of that a little bit, but um, we we go to bars and I I sit and I, I look at these people, you know, I look at these waiters waiters and waitresses and so forth, and it reminds me so much of when I was in there and I was when when I say I was a kid, I was very very young. I was maybe ten twelve years old that I was running the bar for my daddy when when he. I'd get home from school, and uh, instead of doing things, you know, go out there and play ball with the kids and all, Dad would always tell me, said, you got homework? Yeah. Go back there in the house, do your homework, then come back over here and do what you got to do in the bar. Well, he'd take off and he'd go rest because he'd been up since maybe 4 or 5 o'clock that morning doing his thing in the bar. So uh, I'd take over the bar. Now I'm talking selling drinks over the bar, mixing drinks and everything else. Today you do that and you're going to jail, partner. 
Well, I, I tell you what, let's. I, I definitely want to come back to the restaurant uh, in, in a little bit, but you talked about your dad. Let's go back to the beginning and, and his father. Uh, let's go back to the beginning of the George family history in America. Talk about how the George family ended up on Bayou Lafourche. And let's let's go all the way back, starting with your grandfather, who we know as Sweet Papa, Sweet Papa. Uh, coming in uh, into this country. <clears throat> all right. Uh, my granddad came from uh, from... Beirut, well, he migrated to Beirut, Lebanon, from Turkey. Uh, he had jobs on a ship, though, though he, had, he was headed to the USA. He taught, made port in uh, Mexico when he jumped the ship. He, he got into Mexico, and uh, he thought he was really bound for the United States. Now, I imagine it was a pretty good shock when he got into Mexico, and found out he wasn't in the United States. So he worked long and hard to save enough money to send for his wife and young son, leaving behind a firstborn daughter. Uh, she was to be brought back to the U.S. at a later date. My grandmother with my four-year-old daddy, Philip, left Beirut for the United States, got to Ellis Island. At Ellis Island Hospital, daddy was quarantined for for about a month, some kind of sickness. And uh, so until he got better, they, uh, they they stayed on Ellis Island. When he did get to where he could travel again, they started out on, on their, their mission to find my granddaddy, and he was in Mississippi. So they finally all met up, stayed there for some time, and they later moved on to Thibodeau, Louisiana, starting their new life, later moved to La Rose, working odd jobs, later started peddling clothes, and he'd walk from La Rose to Grand Isle with two large boxes on his back. And when I say large boxes, when I was 15 years old, I couldn't pick them boxes up. And he would walk from Grand Isle to La Rose, back and forth every week. No place to sleep, no place to eat or anything. And uh, he, I guess, thing was back then, it's completely different than today, but uh, uh, wherever he'd get to the house where he could sell some of his wares, he, uh, if he was lucky enough, he might get something to eat or maybe a place to sleep that night. Might be in a barn, but he had a roof on his head, you know? So uh, he uh, he did that for many years. And then, uh, of course, my grandmother passed, and from there, well, he, uh, he kind of lived off and on at uh, my, my mother's mother's uh, house where he rented a room. And he would uh, he would still peddle clothes. Sometimes in the room, he would open up his boxes. You could walk in, get get what you needed, or he'd take his bags and take off again. So <laughs> Daddy kind of felt sorry for him, so he taught him to drive. And I'll never forget, he had an old coupe car. The uh, back end would open up. So uh, Daddy... Daddy would take, put his bags in the coop, 
grandpa would leave with a car and he'd go and sell sell his clothes. And uh, the thing was, he couldn't bike. He he didn't know how to bike up. So he, <laughs> he always had to have the car facing the way he wanted to go. If he knew if he knew he was going to cut off, he would park that car and point it toward cut off because he could. And then if he got in the bind, he had to stop somebody to ask him, "Would you please bike my car, <laughs> bike my car up and and help me?" So they would. Everybody was 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 one on one back then. You know, they'd help each other out a lot. Uh, went back to Thibodeau. Uh, my, my grandmother worked. She she was managing a store over there for for a while, and my granddaddy worked at the old ice house that's still in Thibodeau. Uh, I, I got to see the not too long back we was in Thibodeau, and I told that to the wife. I said, "Granddaddy used to work at a at a nice house," and I met. I wish I'd have got that man's name. He was so nice. There's an old gentleman come out, and I got to talking to him. And I asked him, I said, dude, could you tell me what has an, an ice house, old ice house? And he says, come on, I'll, I'll take you to it. So we drove and I followed him, and uh, he told me a story about it, you know. But anyhow, he, uh, he worked at the ice house, and I guess when he got enough saved up to where he could start stocking clothes and whatever wares that he was selling, which was mainly clothes, he got got out of the uh, ice house business, and uh, they moved on to La Rose. And there, uh, Daddy was getting up in age then, you know. So Daddy met Mama, my mother, and uh, they married. They married and set set rules there. So Daddy opened the uh, George's restaurant, and plus my other granddaddy, Mama's daddy had his bar and restaurant side by side. So it uh, worked out pretty good for him. Uh, I want to go back to a couple of points in, in that story. Uh, I understand your your aunt uh, never actually made it to the United no. States. She, um, they they sent, sent for her. She had stayed with, with relatives over there. And till today... They never found out what happened. If, uh, but back then, wars was was very very common, you know, in that part of the world. They never never found out what happened to her, but wow. uh, she was out of the picture right there, you know. Let Let's talk too about your father, uh, Philip Senior. Uh, I understand just reading a little bit uh, before we came on. He has an interesting story about how he enlisted in the army uh, at 15 years 15 old. Tell years us about old. that. Well, <laughs> from the stories I heard, and Daddy, Daddy never really told me too many stories about when he was young because he was not too proud of things that he did. <laughs> he, he was a he was a rough guy, you know. He uh, you had to be back then. Uh, nobody gave you anything. Anything you had, you had to work for it. Or, and uh, the, the way I understand the story went that uh, him and my granddad locked horns one day. So uh, he didn't like what was going on. So he took off. He ran off, joined the Army. And he stayed in there for a year, and some high-ranking officer, thank God, 
found out that he was just 15 years old. So he told me, he said, boy, you got to go back home. And he did. <laughs> he packed up a little bag and come on back home. And and honorably discharged. Oh, yes. That. Oh, yes. He, he had an honorable discharge. That's right. So he gets back home. He comes back to LaRose. And like you mentioned, uh, when you were telling us that story, uh, is is he eventually settled in LaRose and, and then opened the restaurant uh, and ballroom. Uh, can you... It's it's by the way for for those listening it was located in what we now call the north uh, big curve in La Rose above the Intracoastal. Uh can you maybe go into detail and tell us about how how he came into that business you talked about your grandfather and how he was he was started peddling clothes how did your how did your father decide to open uh, the restaurant business Well like I said back then the the only the only means of, of surviving you either worked in cane fields, cotton fields back then was a big thing too, down here in the south, and uh, cane fields, sugar cane. And like I said, Daddy uh, always tried to use his head instead of his back, you know. Now, my granddaddy, on the other hand, he he worked the cane fields, and, and my young uncle, Daddy's brother, worked the cane fields for a dollar a day. They were making a dollar a day. So Daddy didn't think too much of that dollar a day thing and working in the in the, all, in the uh, cane fields and busting your back, you know, for little or nothing. So he decided, well, I can go ahead and do better than that. So he tried the uh, restaurant business. And, and like I say, back then, it was bar and restaurant, even till the day. He died. It was boring a restaurant. It was not like today. You you have restaurants and that's it, or bars, or. But uh, he uh, he met my mother, and of course her dad had had a bar and and uh, kind of a restaurant, I guess you'd call it. They'd make suppers and have big big things going on all the time at night. So he built, had the place built, which is, was the uh, George's Bar. He had that. And from there, he, uh, he, he took off with it. I mean, he, he loved it. He always was a man <clears throat> that, that loved to be really dressed up, always had a suit on, a tie, a white shirt. And, uh, I mean, he... He could talk with anybody in that business. If you walked in, you would, uh, you would uh, so and so, and and this is what you did for a living. He could sit and talk with you, and then he could go to that next guy, and talk uh, fishing or whatever. You know, I mean, he was just that type of person. He loved people. He was a people man. So, uh, yeah, he was cut out for that. He he was cut out for the restaurant and bar business. And it was certainly easy to bring people together when you have good food, and, oh, and there's yeah. plenty to talk about there. Uh, we, you brought us in a book uh, from the Knights of Columbus, uh, We Are What We Remember, and it's some stories from LaRose, uh, and, and this is volume two. Your grandson you mentioned earlier, Sean George, who we all know, uh, the assistant district attorney here, in uh, one of the assistant district attorneys in Lafouche Parish, uh, he wrote something here that I wanted to read uh, the, the pop, uh, about the restaurant. The popularity 
arose primarily from a single item offered in the restaurant, roast beef. The sandwiches often required a heaping pile of napkins <laughs> to get to the, the delicious gravy off your fingers and always left you craving more. And I would argue that that's the sign of, of a truly great roast <laughs> right. beef po' boy right. uh, when, when you need a ton of uh, probably a roll of, of paper towels to, to help you out there. Uh, but but reading about the restaurant and how people came from New Orleans uh, only to have their their uh, their city their big city cuisines trumped by a small town by your restaurant, hey, that's something we all appreciate being yeah. from Lafouche and and we've seen and probably experienced firsthand ourselves. So talk about the roast beef though. Uh, that that's what we want to know about. Talk about what what made it stand out, uh, maybe, and and what's unique about it, and and why people loved it so much. You know, uh, that started way back before before I, I really, really get around and <clears throat> know what it was all about. But but uh, Daddy, Daddy's the one that came out with, with that recipe. And he was always experimenting with, with different things, you know, cooking and so forth. And uh, when he when he had a chance, because he, he was running the bar and then he'd, Go back there and, and in the kitchen and and try to cook up something and so he come up with this. Now how he decided? Well, you know this is this is what it's going to and it worked. Whatever he did, it worked because it. Uh, I mean we he he started out and uh, it just it just it just blossomed. I mean uh, people would come in and they'd eat that first roast beef. And here they come back again, you know. They, uh, they, but uh, you, you're talking about uh, people from New Orleans, all that stuff. We would have people from the uh, Baton Rouge area that would go down fishing the Grand Isle. And their, their spot was Philip George's place. They would not eat in between. <laughs> they would stop at Philip George's place to eat the roast beef. And... Uh, yeah, it it was very very popular, and and ultimately I I know that we would love to have the recipe, but I understand <laughs> the recipe is a a very guarded family secret. Oh, yeah. Correct. Uh, Mama and Daddy both would come here and and, and fuss me if I gave it away. <laughs> It's interesting because even even to this day, uh, it, it seems to be one of the most polarizing uh, items on any Bayou menu. Even even my generation will sit here and talk about uh, who has the best roast beef even to this day on the Bayou. So it's interesting that uh, you know not much has changed over the no, over the decades. No, no. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a popular meal. We uh, like, like I said earlier, we. Uh, we had all these politicians used to used to come in, and, and I know y'all, I know y'all never met them, but y'all heard of A.O. Rapley. Of course, right. A.O. used to stop all the time. He'd stop at the restaurant, and he, he'd he'd eat roast beef. He would not. And look, these roast beef was just, just about a foot long, and uh, A.O. would walk in, and of course he'd greet everybody. You know, says politician and uh he'd sit at the bar get to talking with everybody he would order three roast beefs <laughs> when that man finished <laughs> he, he had a stack of napkins <laughs> you could have choked the mule on but <laughs> it, it was comical but i mean we we had we had a bunch of bunch of 
good people. Well, they were all good people who used to come to the restaurant. And that was that was the main thing, that roast beef sandwich, you know. Uh, and after it really caught on, that was it, brother. That was it. We we'd go we'd go down as as matter of fact, uh, Dufresne's Bakery used to bring bread every morning, and uh, they they had a truckload. I'm talking about this guy bring in loads of, of French bread, and by by nightfall it it was gone. It was gone. There was no more. Now, now, surprisingly, talking to you but before we started recording this, you mentioned that roast beef is not necessarily your your favorite thing in the world. So, so did you have a favorite item on the menu other than the roast beef sandwich? Brendan, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. It's uh, might sound a little silly, but being raised in a restaurant, you uh, you eat because you gotta survive, you know. And I, I got to the point that maybe I ate so many roast beefs <laughs> <laughs> that, that it got to the point I said, well, wait a minute. Why don't you try something else, you know? Uh, so we'd, we'd switch over. I, I, I'm not knocking the roast beef because it's great. It's, it's one of a kind. But um, I, I, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just not my favorite. Now, before the restaurant shut down, uh, you mentioned uh, you, uh, Hurricane Betsy passed yes. through here. Do you have any memories uh, of the hurricane and, and being around in this area? My God, yeah. I was working at Britain Canal in the cutoff. And, of course, when, whenever a storm would show up, we'd shut everything down. All the oil fields would shut on, you know, and you go and do what you got to do. So we had we we was in the process of remodeling the house at at, at home, and uh, didn't even have bricks around. I mean, we we had we had the, the outside parts of it, but no bricks and stuff. And uh, we kept listening to the radio. You know that this hurricane is coming; it's going to be bad and everything. So I I got at the back door of that house, which was facing the south end, and. Uh, Sitting there, just looking. There's nothing you could do, but I guess, you know, you're thinking of your family. And we had a bunch of people from Galliana area. Uh, a lot of her folks, uh, wife's folks, was there and uh, everybody else. Uh, I think my sister and a whole bunch of their kids were there. So, uh, I mean, you, all of this is going through your mind. What's going to happen? You know, how bad is this going to be? So I was standing at that back door, and it looks like yesterday. I was standing there, and I was, I was looking out in the yard. Couldn't see anything. It was at night. So just sitting there looking, and I started hearing a roaring sound. It was a, it was like a train coming, you know. And people that always told me, if you ever hear a train and it's bad weather, it's not a train. It's a tornado. So when I heard this noise... I hollered at the the people in the house. I said, "Y'all get in the uh, in the uh, hallway." I said, "There's a tornado coming." So the house ain't but maybe 50 feet in length. And before I could run from the front door to the back of the house to open windows, they always said, "Try to equalize your pressures in in the house and so forth." Before I could do that, it was over. And I mean, it's 
you'll never forget the sound if you've never been in one. And uh, so I came out the house, and I'm looking around, and my, my neighbor was uh, walking around his yard, and I asked him, I says, Benny, what, what was that? He says, it's a tornado. He said, I was watching it go, going up toward Valentine area. He says, a tornado? He says, yeah. He says, man, it's big. Says, it's gone. I, I watched it a long way. So about that time, somebody came driving up and uh, got talking with us. And he told us, he says, look, I'm looking for volunteers to come with me. We got to go and see if we can find survivors in the area where the tornado hit. So I said, sure, we'll go. So me and my brother and some other guy went. And uh, first rattled out the box, we started pulling bodies out. And uh, then we were told to get out because uh, another another tornado had been spotted wow. and uh, may have been coming in that direction, you know. So we did. We we got out of it, and uh, there was a lot of damage then. A lot of damage, a lot of poor people lost their lives. Uh, it it was tough. It was bad. Just another amazing story it, it, uh, about Hurricane Betsy, and, and it's, uh, man, anybody who has a story from back then, it, it's just, uh, it, you, you just you take it all in. It, it's just uh, unreal uh, what you had to go through, and without the, the modern technology that we have now, without knowing it was, uh, you know, what was coming and, and how bad it was going to be and, and things like that, uh, it's, you know, it's just amazing to hear everybody's stories of survival. Uh, kind of moving on to a, 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 a lighter topic. You're retired now, obviously, and and I understand you understand you're you know every good fishing spot uh, from Golden Meadow South. So can you talk about that? Why is it that you've decided to stay here? A lot of people, when they retire, end up leaving or going somewhere else. Why have you decided to stay here? What do you love so much about the area? There's no better place in the world. That's the only reason. We. Uh... We, I don't know, we were born, raised over in this area, all our friends, family, and everybody was here. And, and uh, I, just, I just couldn't think of a better place that I'd want to be. Uh, I might have made a mistake, you know. I don't believe we did. But uh, we raised our families here, and they're raising their families. So uh, I, I thank God a lot of times for for favors granted, you know? Absolutely. Well, Mr. George, look, at the end of every podcast, we have a round of rapid-fire questions for each of our guests, and as you might expect, they're related to life down the bayou. And and we even change them up from time to time to throw out some curveballs, so you can give us a one-word answer. You can expand on your answer if you feel you need to explain. It's entirely up to you. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's your go-to order at a down-the-bayou restaurant? <laughs> Oh, Lord. I'm not crazy about fried chicken, but that's about the size of it. I, I might take fried chicken. Okay. <laughs> All right. Some harder questions now. Pot- right. Potato salad. In the gumbo or oh, on the no, side? No, no, not, not in the gumbo. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so you're officially on the side. All right. So jambalaya. Do you prefer red or brown jambalaya? She may, the wife makes brown. I got to eat brown. <laughs> that's that's the right answer, sir. All right. What's your favorite Cajun French word or phrase? Mon Dieu. 
<laughs> All right, and now the toughest one. When a boat is passing in the and and you're in the car, is the bridge open or closed? <laughs> well, it's closed to traffic. <laughs> well, there you go. That that's your answer. All right, so that'll do it for this episode of the DTB podcast presented by Bless Your Heart Nonprofit Corporation. Thanks so much to our guest, Philip George Jr. Mr. George, we sincerely appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, uh, it's, it's an experience for me, believe me. So thank you. Thank you all again. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. And like I said, now uh, we appreciate you sitting down with us uh, to to have uh, this uh, kind of commemorated uh, for for future generations. So we thank you for tuning in. You can subscribe to the DTB podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the DTB podcast. You can also follow Bless Your Heart Nonprofit on Facebook or on Twitter at BYH Nonprofit. You can donate to Bless Your Heart on Venmo at Bless Your Heart Nonprofit and on PayPal at Bless Your Heart Nonprofit at gmail.com. Well, that'll wrap it up for us on this episode of the DTB podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button for our next episode. Until then, this is Brennan Mathern. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.